the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Saved his life. It saved his life. The fans wanted to see him go to the table. 
The fans are booing a broken table. Well, yes, they are. They wanted to see you put the artist through it. And so did Vito wanted to see it too, but Vito, I the master of improvisation here, is going to pick it up and drag it down with his move. On the mat. One, two, three, still be. Our hardcore champion, Big Vito. The weight of both is too much for the table, but Big Vito hunts on it. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the feature episode of part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am JP John Paz and on today's episode it is all about Big Vito. That's right. Vito LaGrasso finally joins the show, and it actually has been several years in the making. He kind of alludes to it on the uh, interview, kind of going back and forth for a while, just trying to get the timing right for both of us and get it down. And boy, what a great interview and kind of uh, just really go all over the map with his career. I just absolutely love it. We discuss him breaking in with Johnny Rods. Then we can, you know, you kind of go down the line doing some enhancement matches for the WWF, making a name for yourself, going out there to Japan, going to USWA in Memphis. Then you go back to Japan and you have a nice little run with All Japan Pro Wrestling. You somehow get a great victory over Masawa, one of the greatest wrestling legends of all time. Then you go to Puerto Rico. Then you go to ECW. You spend time there with Paul Heyman. You become one of the Baldies. I mean, really, really great stuff as we kind of go through and get some stories each territory and each place he worked all across the way. Obviously, after ECW, he ends up with WCW reuniting with an old friend, Vince Russo, who he basically helped break into the business back with Johnny Rods and, and doing his training and was actually his first manager. And now we have part of the Russo brand with Mr. and Mrs. And they do several different podcasts on the Russo brand and on the Realm Network. But they also have the Big Vito brand, which has a number of great podcasts available as well. But we also, besides... WCW and ECW, we do talk quite a bit about his time in WWE, what his thoughts were on the FBI, too little too late. We also talk about the gimmick with the cross-dressing and how he would always wear the dresses and what he kind of thought about that. And it was really kind of good and maybe a little surprising to hear what he really thought about the gimmick, um, how he executed the gimmick kind of some other wrestlers that have had similar gimmicks and what they had to go through and kind of the attitude and the experience level that you need to have to be able to really handle gimmicks like that. And and really, if you have something that was kind of shocking or surprising that the creative team comes to you with, how you handle it and how you really turn it into a positive. So, I mean, that's just like some great stuff. I mean, we do talk just a little bit about TNA, going to OVW for, for a minute or two, but really, really focusing in on some great times in WCW, WWE, ECW, and of course, All Japan Pro Wrestling. I don't want to go on too long because I really feel like I want to head over to the interview very quickly because it is a great one. Also want to mention Rick Bassman's Talking Tough as well as the three-way dance, which is available on Podcast One and Launchpad. So that is great stuff. Also a part of the TMPT Empire. Also Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch on the MLW Radio Network. We also have Dr. Tom Pritchard's Taking You to School, which is available on the two-man power trip of wrestling feed. And then, of course, over on the Russo brand, we have Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast. So the two-man power trip empire is rocking and rolling. We're locked and loaded. We have so many great podcasts for you to enjoy. And, of course, today 
We have an absolute great one with a former two-time WCW Hardcore Champion, a former two-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, Vito LaGrasso. You know him as Big Vito. And now joining us on the line is a former two-time WCW Hardcore Champion, a former two-time WCW World Tag Team Champion. He has literally wrestled everywhere and wrestled everyone. He is Big Vito, Vito LaGrasso. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you for having me on two-man power trip wrestling. Great to be here. We've been trying to schedule this interview for uh, a very long time. Finally, we got on the same page. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. It's the B-I-G-V from the L-O-G. And uh, let's take it away. What do you got for me today? So what have you kind of been up to lately? I mean, obviously, Mr. versus Mrs. on the uh, Russo brand. You got your own stuff. Like, what's going on in your uh, in your world, in your podcast world, too? Well, the podcast world, I just finished taping The Man Cave, which is another show I do. We also have uh, Getting Color, I do, uh, with um, Virtue from the No DQ group. Uh, we have a bunch of shows, uh, other shows that we're trying to get on board. But like, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. show is pretty popular on the Russo brand. It gets a lot of tra- traction. You know, my wife beats me every week on uh, every every contest, you know. <laughs> so I try to pick, we try to have fun and, you know, pick some fun, fun topics. Like who's the better actor, me or The Rock? Who's got a better leg drop, me or Hogan? Uh, who's got the better elbow, me or Macho Man? You know, uh, my birthday's coming up June 18th, you know, and the Russo brand, I got to tell you, you know, I've been, <clears throat> a couple people started the pregame. I just got a, a, another pregame gift. You know, I got a wish list on Twitter and you think the people from the Russo brand, you know, I'm the people's album on that show. Russo doesn't even send me nothing. It's terrible. You know, terrible. We're going to have to do a show about, you know, Russo haters. I'm going to join Cornette and Bischoff and Pritchard. <laughs> And all the rest of the game. Yeah, what's up with Russo? I thought he was your boy. What happened? I don't know. He he is so caught up on all his stuff. It is not even funny. I mean, like, he's got so many things going on. He's podcasting seven days a week. He's got 10,000 shows. You know, I call him on a Monday. He'll, he'll re- return my call, like, two Mondays later. You know, that's the way it is, you know. And then he'll go, Vito, what's going on, bro? Give me a call. You know, and like, you know, the guy's just busy doing his thing. Life is good for him. You know, he's living he's living his life doing his podcast. But for me and my wife, we do the podcast. You know, we, uh, we're trying to enjoy life. Like, you know, we live on a beautiful golf course. We have a beautiful home. Uh, we uh, have a great circle of friends. 
uh, we're just trying to live life and enjoy it. You know, it's uh, sad what's going on in the world today, you know, with uh, COVID-19 and all the all the riots that are going on. You know, it's, it's very sad, but hopefully it cleans up. Everybody can get back on track and everybody will be good. Yes, definitely. Uh, that's for sure. Now, you, you mentioned Russo. When did you kind of first meet Vince? Like, I know you've been friends for a long time, but when did you actually first meet Vince Russo? Well, I'll tell you what, I kind of like broke Vince Russo in the wrestling business because he came to Johnny Rods' school uh, back in 1990, and uh, we became friends from there. He was my manager in his first wrestling match. So, uh, you know, we've been boys for a very long time. We used to do Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling when he had his radio show, which was very successful. We used to do Nassau Coliseum Live. You know, people used to pay $75 to come hear us do our radio show. It was great. You know, and um, that's when I was doing WWF TVs also. So, I mean, I had a, you know, uh, we've had a, a good bit of success, you know, and me being a wrestler and him being a writer and a journalist and doing a magazine. So it was kind of a good mix, you know, everything worked out good. Absolutely. And you mentioned Johnny Rods, obviously one of the most legendary trainers. What was he like uh, as far as being a trainer? Was he getting, was he helping you get those WWF matches back in the day? Actually, not. he did not, you know, Johnny was very protective of me and he didn't want me to go on my own. He kind of like, I guess he wasn't trying to hold you back, but like, you know, he wanted to guide you and be part of it and do everything, give you everything. But the way it was, the way it came about is I was doing independence and a guy by the name of uh, Sonny Blaze, if everybody remembers him, he was in charge of getting local talent to come to WWF TVs. So I was on John, you know, doing independent shows from uh, Tommy Jeanette back then, which was working for uh, with Johnny Rod. He said, "You want to come to uh, WWF TV?" I said, "Yeah." So and that's how I got to do start my run of doing TVs with the WWF. When you go there, do you actually have any conversations with Vince, or is it strictly just the road agents? Uh, basically, just the road agents. I mean, you know, which one back then it was to somebody brought you in. You know, as road agents, you changed, you did your thing, you know, and uh, and before then, we used to be so old school. Who broke you in? Johnny Rods. Okay, kid, you can come in the dressing room and come here. But you knew if you were a Johnny Rods guy, they took care of you, they respected Johnny, and then once they saw you could wrestle and take bumps, they knew you knew your stuff. So, you know, from there, it was great. And I was probably one of the only enhancement talents to get a lot of offense on TV week after week. So, I mean, I did good. I mean, I did live Monday Night Raw matches from the Manhattan Center. I did all the tapings on the East Coast, you know, and uh, it was a great experience. And it helps you groom you, you know, for when you become a, you know, a, a future superstar. And I wish you would go back to those days where there were territories and places like that so people can learn their craft. And today you just see a bunch of flips, flops, you know, athleticism, which is off the charts. But the psychology of wrestling one-on-one, it just is not there. Definitely uh, not there at all. And kind of going back to that, being the enhancement guy, getting offense, That you're right. You're, you didn't see a lot of offense from a lot of the guys. You see a lot, kind of some squashes. But that was great that you're able to do that and, and kind of learn on the job, so to speak. I learned from the best guys, and those guys took the time to teach me. And at the time, you know, everybody, oh, you're a jobber. You're this, you're that. But no, actually, it was the best education you can get because it helped groom you for when you become that guy and you become that superstar. And, 
you know, you got to remember, you know, giving somebody something, if you don't let somebody have offense, who did you beat today? Nobody. So if you don't take a beating and you don't know, you know, get on the down or you don't sell, then it's worthless. You know, hey, okay, you went out there, it means nothing. But if you beat a tough competitor today, it looks a little better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, some of the guys that you worked to uh, at that point, very, very early on, I mean, we're talking like Bret Hart, Undertaker, right. guys like that. I mean, creme little creme. You've literally wrestled some of the, you know, some of the best and some of the biggest names in the business. I'm probably one of the few guys who have wrestled the whole Hart Foundation. So that's pretty, pretty significant. Um, I've wrestled a lot of the greats in the business. Um, I'm really, uh, when you say you look at it, hindsight, you know, I've been in the ring with the best in the world and I have the respect from the best in the world because I knew my craft. I knew how to work. You do, you do your thing. I mean, you know, I, I made it from, you know, the WWF TVs to Puerto Rico to go to Japan, you know, to go to Santa Domingo because they did have a WCW down there, uh, to go to Memphis, you know, do the East Coast, go back to Japan, go back to Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, then when I got my big chance in uh, all Japan, coming home from there, I had a very successful tour, going to ECW, you know, WCW, the XWF. You know, go back to Japan, go back to Germany, go to TNA, go with WWE. So you talk about going full circle where you wind up. And, you know, it might have taken a long time, but along the way, that helped groom you for that moment when you are a WWE superstar. And you know how to handle yourself. You're respected. You paid your dues. And you know what to do and what not to do in the ring. Yeah, you literally have wrestled like you said everyone but everywhere too and i definitely wanted to kind of talk about all japan for a second because that's one of those things where you do hold the win over misawa one of the greatest of all time and so many people use that i've noticed as like a trivia question because they almost say no that never happened but it did actually happen right did i it did happen i actually found the tape of it here in the house and we actually bought a vcr so we could watch so <laughs> it was pretty cool but you know what? Back then, I didn't know who Mizawa was. I was I was Skullbound Crush, or Vito Lagrasso. You're not gonna laugh at me. You're not gonna mock me. I'm there as a wrestler. And you know, when he got pushed in the middle of the ring, I went at him. I didn't know who he was, and I really didn't care. You know, I said I was gonna pin him. I had to pin somebody before I got out of there. And he was the guy. And you know, I get back there. You know, Vito, you had a hell of a first day. You're in a semi-main event with Gary Albright and. Uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams, and there you pinned our Triple Crown winner. It hasn't been pinned in five years. Way to go. Hey, well, I had to make a name for myself, and I wasn't trying to, but I did, and then I wound up having a great tour of all Japan. Very kind of cool, like I said, um, trivia-type question, because a lot of people obviously may may not even know that, but that's just such a cool little uh, piece of trivia. Like, you've wrestled so many guys, but that's just one of those interesting tidbits. I feel like a lot of people don't know or maybe forget or like you said you gotta find the old vhs tape and pull it out you know but another thing too is a lot of people don't realize you know when fujinami was making his comeback he came to johnny rod's school and there were magazine clippings and i think there's some tape out there of me wrestling fujinami on his comeback working out whoa didn't know that either another little piece of trivia very cool so you talk about wrestling the best of the best in uh you know, in Japan, you know, 
who was my tag team partner in Japan? Mr. Tenru. Oh, another awesome legend. Yeah. So like, yep. You talk about being in there with the best. Tenru was my tag team partner. So you talk about doing some good stuff, some cool things in Japan. You know, does anybody know that both my picture is on the wall in both Ribera Steakhouses in Japan? And if you get your picture on the wall, that's like a hall of fame. That's you're with there with the greats of the greats who've been to Japan. And I take a lot of pride in that. Oh yeah. The legendary Barra Steakhouse. Absolutely. As far as kind of you coming like all along the globe and all along the world, you end up in Memphis at one point, which we talked about. Did yeah. you like your time down there in Memphis? I mean, obviously, you know, you're working with uh, Jeff Gaylord and Brian Christopher and guys like that, but did you like uh, your time down there in Memphis? Tennessee? I love Memphis wrestling because it was a psychology of wrestling that you learned and you know, it was the old school way with Southern wrestling. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize that when you go to different territories, there are different styles. You learn the Memphis, you learn the Memphis style. And then I was included in probably one of the biggest feuds in Memphis history of uh, Eddie Gilbert versus Jerry Lawler cage match Memphis Coliseum. Okay. Who comes running down with the key to unlock everybody? Skull Von Crush. Who was in the who was the opening match of um, Memphis Memory Show? Skull Von Crush. And who got to learn where all the greats came from? You know, does anybody know that Austin Idol's gimmick was where Hulk Hogan got his gimmick from? Macho Man went through there, Undertaker went through there. Um, just about everybody in wrestling. When you had it, you, your way to get to the WWE was you had to go through Memphis. And that was my mission. Go to Puerto Rico, go to Japan, get my Ribera jacket, go to the territories, wrestle. And they had, I said, I got to get this on the resume. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do the other thing. And I did. So I was very happy with the course I'd taken. And when you learn about Southern wrestling, because when you're in New York, you don't get a chance to, um, you don't get a chance to, watch it but then you're learning about it during the memphis memphis hey there's jimmy hart there's the macho man you know did you know that coco beware was stagger lady did you see the boogie woogie man did you see the dream machine did you see the moon dogs did you see this did you see that and i got to view this that's where terry funk became famous that's where um uh, dutch mantel was famous from you know buddy landell uh you know rick flair went through memphis yeah, you talk about the greats of the great. They all went through Memphis, the Legion of Doom, everybody. So you talk about wrestling history and wrestling 101, probably one of the best educations you will get in wrestling. So many great guys. Uh, that's just like on the tip of the iceberg. You know, Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, everybody right, went through Memphis. It's pretty cool to get that and get that, you know, in that territory. So as you're kind of going along, how does Paul Heyman and ECW get on your radar? Or how do, you know, maybe the opposite, maybe how do you get on their radar? Well, I had been wrestling for eight years. I've been everywhere. I still didn't have a full-time job. I just come back from Puerto Rico. I came back from Japan. And I'm saying, okay. Something has got to change. So I had a cocky attitude, and I was too good for my own good. I could beat anybody in a wrestling ring. I proved it. You know, I, you know coming back from pinning Mizawa, all Japan, the whole nine yards. 
and you don't have a full-time job, something's up. So I guess it was just a matter of just uh, changing your attitude, eating some humble pie, going down to the ECW. I spoke with Taz, introduced me to Paul Heyman, and um, they told me yeah, every week, all right, come back next week, come back next week until I earned the job there. And the night I earned a full-time job in uh, ECW was uh, the night Sid came in and Paul had asked three other guys if uh, they wanted to wrestle Sid. They all said no, and I had off that night. So Paul comes up to me and says, Vito, I need a favor. I said, what's up? He says, uh, I need somebody to wrestle Sid. I said, okay. He says, you know what I want, right? I says, yeah, we're good. So I went out there. And it was all about making him look good, you know. Um, everybody watched the tape, you know. I went over the top rope. I took a, I took a good beat, and they said, Vito, if, if you would have fought back, it would have been a hell of a fist fight. And I was, I was known as a tough, tough guy and tough customer in the ring. So, and then when I got back, nobody had asked me to stretch out. Nobody had asked me to be laid out. I go back and I'm stretched out and I'm out. You know what I mean? I mm -hmm. sold it like a champ because that was my job. You know, this would go with the grooming and everything that I was taught. So when I rolled back, Paul had came down, Dreamer, Taz, Devon, uh, the guys are around me. They said, Vito, are you okay? And I looked up off the stretcher. I says, yeah, is that what you wanted? He goes, you're not hurt. And he goes, I said, no. I said, I thought that's what you wanted. I said, you thought you wanted, you know, to be, you know, you know do what you needed. You said, dude. You know, you know what I want you to do. And I worked everybody in the dressing room because they all thought I got killed. Sid was petrified. He said, oh, my God, I killed this guy. And uh, he says, you got a full-time job here. You just earned a job because I worked the whole dressing room. Hmm, that's awesome. True story. True story. Very cool. Now, as far as getting in at Taz, did you know Taz from Johnny Rod School? Yes. Taz, Drema, Devon, uh, Bill DeMott. Mondo Clean. That was the class that came out. Angel Angel from the Baldy came on a little later. But uh, talk about a class of classes to come out. Probably one of the best uh, stable of wrestlers that ever come out of Johnny Rod School. And uh, it seems like when you have a good school, you always have a bust of five or six guys that come out in one class. And, uh, you know, it's just like developmental uh, with Louisville when they had Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin. That was a great class, of, you know, that come out. And when you have the other classes, I believe it was, um, you got to help me with this because I know um, you had Sting, the Road Warrior, and three other guys were in a class. They all came from the, the same school, but it all comes out in busts of five. So when you mm -hmm. talk about great classes, it usually comes and then you don't have another class like that for years after that. You know what I'm saying? Where everybody makes it and everybody yep. becomes the world champion and does stuff like that. So kudos to those wrestling schools because back then you learned your craft. You learned the basics and they drilled it in you. Now, when you're in ECW, you do end up being in Debaldi's, which is a pretty cool faction you guys had. Angel was a, kind of a part of that as well. What was kind of your your thoughts on kind of the gimmick and, and working ECW. Did you enjoy it? Did you like the style? Because I, like you said, you wrestle Puerto Rico, which is obviously somewhat similar, you know, a lot of blood, a lot of craziness. Japan is more, much more of a stiff snug style. But what, what was your thoughts on working ECW and being a part of the Baldies? 
Well, you know, the um, ECW had a very great culture. We used to work out before the matches, which I loved because I was a big workout guy and I was a big guy who just liked to, I enjoyed wrestling. You know, I went to the gym, I drove to the show, got in the ring, I worked out, did my match, went home. It was like a ritual. So being on that culture scale, you know, and being that it was uh, ECW, you look at back now, it's like a cult following. It was a great, great atmosphere, good dressing room. Everybody knew their job. There was one boss. You know, you had your lieutenants there who used to run the dressing room. And the thing with me was I had wrestled up and down the card where I wrestled, uh, everybody knows I wrestled RVD twice. Mm-hmm. And the yep. second time in the ECW arena, you know, that was probably the first time the arena was split between RVD and SVK. And, um, you know, you talk about me wrestling Taz and, you know, the Dudleys and, you know, Raven, and Tommy Dreamer and all the guys. And I had gone up and down. And I said, Paul, I said, I'd like to move up on the card. I says, you know, I'd like, you know, something more. He says, Vito, I don't have a spot for you to where, you know, I could put you in. And I wrestled all the guys. Wasn't a point of my wrestling ability. It was a point of, okay, we got to find a spot for you. So. They had Angel, Tony DeVito, and PN News that were all bald. And he says, wow, you guys could beat the baldies. And that's how it came up. So when that group got together and we had a feud with New Jack, Balls, and Axel, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, we were a group. We were a team. And I tell the story all the time. You know, it's like, uh, you know, hey, we got to get blood and we got to do all this stuff. And uh, everybody knows I'm a pretty boy. So, like, I didn't like cutting my head or getting sliced hmm. open. So they said, Vito, you know, you're good. You don't. I said, nope. I says, if I says, if you guys do it, I do it. I says, we're all in this together. And, you know, the respect I got for that alone, everybody knew I hated to do it. But you know, you're doing right. You're doing business. And, um, you know, when we did the. Our matches, you know, everybody, everybody bled, everybody did their thing. I wind up going on, um, there's a clip where I'm in the ring with New Jack and he staples my head. I got myself uh, pretty good and I'm squirting into the camera and you can see the blood shooting out in a stream and New Jack's actually trying to cover my head so it stops and just like, you know, give it a swipe, you know, but I probably got, I wound up on the uh, 10... 10 most gruesome blood matches of all time. And there I am mm. number five. But, um, you know, uh, a lot of people can't see this. It's an audio. And uh, he's looking at my face on camera. And you can see I don't look a day over <laughs> 35. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my, you know, I'm clean. You know, I have a clean face. You know, I take care of myself. And, um, you know, that's just the way it was, you know. And just uh, it was a good time, a good culture, good people to work with. You know, really nothing bad to say about nothing. If it, if the show had funding and we got to be on a national, you know, a national TV like a TBS or Fox or something, I think, you know, we would have definitely made headway. But a lot of stars came from ECW to go into WWE and WCW. So that promotion did have strike some history, not only with being nostalgic, but producing stars of the future. How, why did you end up leaving ECW to go to WCW? Was it that basically money, they, WCW gave you a, a real full-time contract? What was the reason for leaving? WCW offered me a contract, right? 
So I had made my niche and I was perfectly happy in ECW, which is people don't understand or they might not know, but I did not want to leave ECW. I wanted to stay. So I went to Paul and I told him, I said, Paul, I said, I got a contract offer from, you know, EC, uh, from WCW. He said, what they offer you? And I told him the numbers that Vito, I can't come close to that. I can't pay you that money. He says, you have to go. I said, but I want to stay. He said, Vito, you've been working all these years. He says, you go to WCW. He says, you, you deserve this. He says, you can always come back here. So we had my last match and I did the loser Lee town match and, um, off I went to WCW. It wasn't anything bad or anybody did. It's just that I got an offer that was a great offer at WCW. And, you know, it worked out in my behalf because, you know, like a month later, two months later, you know, here I am being, you know, world tag team champions in WCW, which on the bull. And then later on, I become hardcore champions. So it worked out to where, you know, your progression in the business, you know, you progress and like, Thank God for the training and the places I've been because you just don't walk into being a champion. You don't walk into being these people. This is something you need to be groomed and taught and you learn and you know what to do. And uh, when it came to tag team matches, you know, who better to, you know, I was in the room with the, you're there with the Rock and Roll Express. You wrestled with the PG-13. Um you learn from Eddie and Doug Gilbert. You, you, you learn in your craft as tag team wrestlers. When it comes to singles wrestlers, you know, I wrestled with all the best one-on-one -on -one all around the world. When it came to hardcore, I had a taste of it, not so much in, in Puerto Rico, but you got to learn more from Balls, Axel, and New Jack in, in ECW than when I went to uh wcw and i said okay we're going to do hardcore again i ha i had i had the experience to know how to do it correctly and safely and you know have good matches and you know what and when you're doing the hardcore the secret is to make the other guy look like he can kick the shit out of you using everything in the house and then when you come back you beat somebody i, I mean Nobody would think David Flair could be a kick-ass guy, but David Flair, when he wrestled me in WCW in a hardcore match, everybody was shocked. They said, David, what the hell? I said, David, let's go. I said, this is, you know, you got to look like you can kick my ass. And Arn Anderson and Rick trusted me with, with David. And you know what? I took care of him in the ring. Didn't make him look stupid. Didn't expose him being a green guy i never took advantage of him and you know when they had the young dragon match you know when johnny the bull came out from the mask those three guys wrestling and doing my thing you know it was great matches with great guys who could wrestle and uh you know you talk about the talent that was off the charts back then not only could they do certain things but the guys understood wrestling 101 and i think that's a big part of what we're missing today now, when you went to WCW, was Russo there? Was Russo the one that was bringing you in? Yes, Russo was the one who brought me in. He had, he had brought me in. He had an idea for me and Johnny the Bull to be a tag team. The Mama Lukes. What would you think about the chemistry with you guys? Because that was kind of when WCW needed some good tag teams, and I feel like the Mama Lukes were that team that they needed at that point. 
Well, I mean, the chemist Johnny was green. Johnny was just out of the power plant, and um, you know, Vince trusted me. You know, and the agents trusted me to you know guy Johnny. I told Johnny, I said, listen, I says, uh, listen to me. He trusted me. We became good. We're still friends today. And uh, I said, John, I says, I won't. You know, just follow my lead. Let's do what you do best. I says, and not overexposure, and let's not try to do too much. And, you know, for his part of being a young green guy, he did very well. And I say today, with Johnny the Bull was ahead of his time because of for his athleticism, his body, his power, he could be world heavyweight champion today. He is uh, just a almost like a athletic freak where he was just, I remember him picking up Rikishi over his head and stuff like that. And that's just like unheard of power from a guy like that. But you talk about somebody who could jump to the top rope from the, from the mat mm -hmm. with ease. That's at least a four foot jump height wise and have the balance to stay on the rope. And you talk about athleticism. He, like I said, he was ahead of his time, you know, and, uh, I, today, if he was if he was in the WWE today, hands down, he could be world champion. Hands down. Yeah. Yep. With the Mama Lukes in WCW, as you're going along, obviously, you know, two time tag team champ. Does that mean a lot to you, being a champion, being a world champion, especially in WCW? Absolutely. I mean, when you're in the major leagues of wrestling and you're in the top spot. Every they can they can give you a job, but they can't give you the talent to carry the ball. When they make you a champion, you're carrying the ball and you're doing your thing. And, and you know, being champion in WCW was a very prestigious thing to, to me. Um, the probably the most prestigious night was the night I wrestled Terry Funk for the hardcore title, and it was on Nitro, and I beat Terry Funk. A guy shook my hand, handed me the belt, and now is a, a sign to the rest of the block room that Vito is okay, you know. And it, you know, sometimes when veterans see you have a shit match, they might not do what he did. And that night in the bar, um, everybody came in. I just won the title, and Mean Gene raised the glass. I wanted to get everybody's attention. Congratulations to Vito. You know, he has arrived. Let's salute him. Because I had a great match with Funk, and um, you know it's my time. It's my time. Very cool. Did you like your spot at that point? Like obviously being Terry Funk, a huge honor, one of the greatest of all time. Did you like your spot within the company? I like my spot within the company, and I think I could have did a lot more. But the backstage politics of who is in charge kind of held back my progression. I was on the rise, and I was like. Uh, a hairline away from being a main eventer. And then this changed and that changed and the booking changed and the other guy wanted to push his guy. And he's like, well, cause if you watch, you know, what and how I progressed in WCW, there's no reason why I wasn't US champion or television champion. And if the right circumstance, I probably could have been, uh, I probably could have been world champion in the right circumstance and pulled it out. You know, am I saying it would have been a year run? Probably not. Would I have gotten a couple of months out of it? Yeah, definitely. 
because I was no slouch in the ring and I, I wrestled all the best in, in there. So, and I could handle myself. So, I mean, it was just a matter of politics in the back that not only, you know, held back a lot of wrestlers, but probably held back WCW from being open today. WCW does eventually sell to the WWE. Do you think that a lot of it had to do with the mismanagement, like not having one guy in the position long enough? Like you said, they keep changing bookers. They keep changing this. Do you think Absolutely. that basically led to the downfall? Yes, definitely. 100%. If they would have left Russo alone. Now, everybody blames Vince Russo, and I'm not, I'm not you know, advocating for him in any way, but I'm going to state this. When... Vince was there. He got the ratings up to 3.5. That wasn't good enough. They went When he left, they went back down to 2.2. When he came back, it went back up to 3.3. So if you're getting 3 million viewers and you're doing your job, then something's right. But everybody was complaining because they weren't used in the right spots. Now, today's ratings say the WWE. Mm-hmm. They're barely hitting two. They're right. not even they're not even at two on SmackDown and Raw. And if you add up, you know, Wednesday night, AEW and NXT, what do you have? 1.3 million. You're on course with the other shows. So having a competition on Wednesday nights doesn't do any good for anybody because it's the same 1.3 that's watching Raw and SmackDown on Mondays and Friday nights, respectively. Yeah. Big time. I mean, nobody's really watching wrestling right now. It's crazy. They would kill for those ratings at WCW's game. They would like Raw would kill for that rating right now. No, but you know, and everybody buries Russo. But when you look at it, when he was at TNA, he had ratings. When he was at WCW, he had ratings. When he was in the WWE, he had ratings. When you look at who's in charge today, do they have ratings? Nope. No. Nope. So, and everybody's got something to say. And you know what? When you talk about this, right? You're talking about guys over 50 years old threatening and bashing and doing all this stuff. And then what are they talking about 20 years ago? <laughs> Does that mean get a life, fellas? Mm. I mean, really, truly, you know, I get so mad when I see this and I see 50, 60-year-old guys talking about the same garbage from 20 years ago. Let it go. Yeah, True. Now, WCW does sell to WWE and Vince McMahon. Um, you don't don't join them. How come you weren't a part? Because you were there till the, the bitter end of WCW. How come you don't join the WWE? It was the biggest mystery. It was the biggest um, politic thing that ever went on. They all thought me and Johnny DeBull should have just came as a tag team package. Mm-hmm. When the FBI got together in the WWE, Everybody said, where's Big Vito? It's not complete unless Vito's here. So, I mean, it was a politic thing. It was a, you know, um, I was a Vince Russo guy. I was his boy. So it was kind of like, just take it as it comes and just do your thing. Keep chugging along. Now, you end up, like you mentioned before, the XWF you were in. You were in TNA for a little bit. Eventually, you do end up in WWE. How does that call? Who gives you the call? Who brings you in and say, hey, we're finally going to bring you back to WWE? Well, I was in TNA and um, got a call to do. Uh, I got a call to do, uh, come down, you know, to, uh, would you like to come down TV tape? And I said, okay. So 
when I went down to TV taping, I said, you know, I was outside. I had my sweatsuit on and um, I'm gearing up. And on the Anderson looks at me and says, where the hell have you been? I said, I've just been around on. You know, I said, all right, Vito, let's get in here. Show them what you know. And everybody in that place knew I could wrestle. And everybody knew there's something why I didn't get there. I went in there before I got in there. I said, I got to eat everybody's ass in this place. And I got to make it stick that I'm back. I'm here. And sure enough, I lit up everybody I wrestled that day. And nobody could say nothing. Okay, Vito, come back next week. And I'll go, here we go again. So I did about, I think it was five months. And then I was living in Staten Island. Life, you know, life for me was like, you know, I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm tired of Staten Island. I want to change my life. So I was in Florida looking to buy a house. And um, I had met a girl down there. And uh, I was going to move in with this girl. I was going to do my thing and uh, live life. You know what I mean? And then I get the call the day I was there. I was looking at houses. I said, okay, Vito, we're going to give you a job. I says, what? He says, yeah, I'm going to give you a job. He says, uh, where are you right now? I said, I'm in Florida. He says, all right, get home and then uh, wait for a call. And we'll bring you down. Congratulations. Got the contract the day before my birthday, uh, which is June 18. And I signed my contract, sent it back. And I was off to the races. That's great. Who gave you the call? Was it Arn or was it uh, Johnny Ace? Who was the one that actually gave you the call? John Laurinaitis. Okay. What was your kind of relationship with him? Because everyone always has kind of a crazy Johnny Ace story or a funny Johnny Ace. Do you have any sort of relationship with him or that that was it? Uh, it's kind of a funny relationship because when it comes to business, I mean, he's just a funny guy when he's in power. And you, you know, know from WCW too. Right. And all Japan because he brought me to all Japan. Oh, right. Of course. Yep. Yep. So – it's funny because I'm friends with Joe Laurinaitis, his brother. Mm-hmm. So I would talk to Joe. I would talk to John. We would all talk together. We're all friends, but it just seemed like we could talk about family stuff, what's bothering you, how things are going in life in general. And we all we're all boys. When it comes to wrestling, it's just a different thing. And, uh, I know it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to sit here 20 years later and bad mouth anybody or 15 years later and say, you know what? Things happen. Things are nonsense. Whether you think it's right or wrong, whatever. I mean, I could say a lot of things about John Laurinaitis, but I choose not to because hmm. that's not my that's not my thing. I don't like to bury anybody. And what I'm I'm old. I'm very old school. What happens in wrestling stays in wrestling. It's not for anybody's business, you know. But you know, now that things have passed and whatever. Everybody's older, you know. Do I hold any grudges? No, <clears throat> no, I'm I'm good. You know what I mean? Would would I change some things? Would could things be different? Yes. Could they have been handled different? Absolutely. But you know, people are who they are. You can't change it. So what are you gonna do? You gonna cry about it today, or are you just gonna move on? I move on. If you're not, it, my, the rule in my house is I have an open door policy. You're gonna be cool in my house. You're more than welcome. If you're not cool with me, stay away from me. Right. Plain and simple. With WWE and getting in there, and obviously you get the call from Johnny Ace, they do eventually put you in the FBI with Nunzio. Is this one of those things where it's like, okay, finally, you know, this has been way later. It should have happened way sooner. Right. 
And then the night I debuted, that's when Ninja won the Cruiserweight title. Great way to break in, you know, on a high note. And then, you know, things just take off from that. We, you know, we had a good run together. And, uh, you know, things, you know, things, we were just going along. And then when ECW came about, they wanted to put Ninja back in ECW, you know. And um, them, me being from ECW, but I made my name in WCW, it didn't mm-hmm. fit. So that's when we broke up. And then a little bit later, they give you that cross-dressing gimmick, which was kind of interesting and funny. It's like you know, this tough guy from New York. You don't see him doing that gimmick, but it actually worked on WWE TV. What did you kind of think about that whole gimmick? Probably the, one of the most fun times I had in wrestling, most enjoyable years of my life because it was a great gimmick. You know, when people give you something and they don't think you're going to pull it off, but you do. And you make it work. But for what I explained earlier in a podcast, you don't get to do those things unless you're groomed, you have the experience, you're taught. How do I know how to do these things in the ring? I just use my experience. Okay, let's see what works. Let's try this. Let's try that. And this is all on the fly. This is nothing that I practiced. This is on the fly. I'm like, okay, let's see what I could do here. And I made it work. Everything worked. Everything did good. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when you get too big for your own good and then you like, you get to a championship match and I'm coming to work thinking I had done, um, the interview for the, um, for the new station we were going on that morning and I was supposed to have a championship match against Booker T. And then I get there to TV and they say, uh, Vito, um, we're canceling your match with the Booker T. I, I said, why? He said, well, the network wants the Undertaker and, you know. And that's when they said Vito graciously stepped aside for the Undertaker. Right. Well, well people, I did graciously accept their explanation, but I did not. <laughs> I had worked my ass off to get to that point. And that's what you work for, to have championship matches. And here I am with an undefeated streak on the hottest thing they have. And they sidestepped me for the undertaking. I was like, politics one-on-one again. And I knew it. I knew it. You just keep your mouth shut and move on. Yeah, and it's interesting because you said like that undefeated streak, you were on a bit of a roll. When that happens, there's supposed to be some sort of end game or some sort of uh, prize, and you, you never end up getting it. didn't really make sense on TV for the fans. No, it did not. It didn't make sense for anybody in the back because everybody enjoyed the gimmick and everybody was enjoying it. They would all sit there watch and see what I was going to do next. And um, when that happened, you talk about people feeling bad for you, and you're like okay, how did this happen? What What's going on? Why didn't he get his championship match? And it sucked in a lot of ways, but the one thing about that WWE dressing room, I got the respect from everybody in there because I went and did this gimmick, even though to them it would have been embarrassing all that laughed behind the scenes. But when I went out there and wrestled and they saw the people who actually had to respect me, it was the last of kayfabe. Mm-hmm. So there's no mocking or making fun of me. I did what wrestling, you know, how wrestling was supposed to be done, made the people believe. 
Is that one of those gimmicks where almost like Dusty with the polka dots? It's like, okay, I'm going to make this work. You guys think it's not going to work. I'm going to make it work. And it gives you like a little chip on your shoulder? Well, it, I compare it to Dusty Rhodes too because Dusty Rhodes, they had a they had a thing for Dusty Rhodes. They gave him the polka dots, mm-hmm. common man. They made him a plum. Okay, he made it work. So they gave me, whether it was a joke or wasn't a joke, okay, they gave me something. I made it work. It was my chance because if I would have failed that, Vito, we gave you something that failed. Oh, we can't do nothing. I made it work. What else you got for me? Yes. Great attitude to have. And it's great for like a younger wrestler. They're like, wow, he, he took that. He made that work. You know, maybe I'm not going to complain about this gimmick or that gimmick. I'm just going to try to see and try to make it work. Very positive attitude. But uh, wrestlers today, they have too much to say. They're on social media. And they're criticizing the company. They criticize their gimmick. They criticize. How about learning your craft, staying off the social media, making your character work so they have to push you, instead of complaining on social media? Makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you get released from WWE, what was kind of your thoughts? Because it seemed like everything's going right. I mean, they're not like you're making a lose on TV or anything like that. It's just like all of a sudden it seemed like you got released. What was the reasoning for that? Nobody knows. Politics again, rising up? Politics and a bunch of office stuff that probably if I, if I was to come on this show and talk about it, it would embarrass a lot of people. Hmm. I choose not to say. But, you know, let's put it that way. I got released. I enjoyed my time at the WWE. And I'd rather not, you know, like I said, you know, there are things in wrestling that happen and things in wrestling that, you know, go that are behind the scenes that that go on. If I was to ever talk about it, I'll probably put it in a book, which I am writing. And um, it'll uh, it'll come out, but it'll come out in my on my terms. And uh, when it does, everybody's going to be like, Wow. So, you know, like I said, I I would be hypocritical to to sit here and bash people like a lot of guys like we just talked about Russo and all these guys, Mm -hmm. you know, and and why do that? You know what I mean? It's like something that happened, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a man thing. It's a personal thing. It's what goes on. You know, is it worth a discussion now? Eh, you know. It, it has no bearing on my life now. I live a beautiful life. I live on a beautiful golf course. I have a beautiful house. You know, things are good. I, I, I'm a good husband. I take care of my wife. You know, uh, you know, I do a lot of great things in the community. I've got no beefs. You know what I mean? Now, after that, you, you know, wrestling a lot in the UK and Europe and stuff. Was that just something where it's like, okay, I still love wrestling You're in Puerto Rico. I mean, you still have the passion for it and you just, basically you know we're still getting booked like crazy all over the place yeah i mean i was making a living i'm surviving you know what i mean i'm still doing my thing but you know being that i've been to every company in the Mm -hmm. world where do you go what do you do what do you shoot for you hope to get resigned um you know it's like anything else you know it's life after wrestling except when you are you know, put your whole life into something, you know, and you say, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, you know, and then when a reality hits you, okay, what are you going to do now? You know, it's like, okay, I got to think, I got to think, but, you know, and then when you still go to go to civilian life, you go to get a regular job, you 
take on responsibilities, you know, in a relationship, you know, wrestling comes secondary. It becomes a weekend thing. You know, you have to eat. So. Now I wanted to bring this up too, because I see Skull Von Crush is kind of getting over again. Uh, yeah. lately, a lot of different things. What's going on with Skull? He's making it somewhat of a comeback. It looks like. Skull Von Crush is making a comeback, but he's coming back in a different light. Um, you know, I like the old skull. He had yeah. swag. He sure. had swag. I mean, he, I look at him and I say, you son of a bitch. You just, you just one tough son of a bitch. But I think if we make it to where it's more of to, today's character, I think people will enjoy it, you know? So Skull Von Crush is coming back. Just sit back and watch, you know, it'll be good. You'll be entertained. You'll like it. Where did that name originally come from? Skull Von Crush, because when I broke into business, I looked like um, uh, Baron Von Raschke, so they called me Skull, or they compared me to Skull Murphy. We had to come up with a German name, so Skull Von Crush. I mean, that was just it. Love that name. It's just... Uh... It's so easy to remember. I don't know. I guess when you put three name, three cool names together, it just uh, kind of goes goes together. Right? I mean, it's just uh, easy to remember. But such a cool. I love how it's making a comeback. No, thank you very much. My uh, my wife is working very hard on on that stuff, and uh, we're both doing it together. And uh, you know, we're trying to space it out to where it's not coming out all at once. So we're we're putting out stuff as it comes, where people are like, okay, you know, if you guys are out there. And you guys, you know, see the stuff, you know, go to twitch.tv slash the Big Vito brand. You know, we have audio podcasts everywhere under the Big Vito brand. Our social media is the Big Vito brand. Guys, just go out there and check it out. And, uh, you know, subscribe to our stuff, like our stuff, go on Twitter and like it. You know, Skullbone Crush is begging for people to get to see him again. So it's all good. Now, with you, and as we, we head towards the finish line, we head towards the uh, the closer here, I'm just curious because there's so many guys that you've wrestled. I mean, it literally, it's insane. It's almost like who haven't you wrestled? So is there a guy that you haven't, haven't wrestled? Because I looked, you have wrestled Flair. You've, you've obviously wrestled Brett. You've wrestled Undertaker. You've wrestled Shawn Michaels. Is there somebody you haven't actually wrestled? Hulkster? I, I mean, I think you wrestled Hulk. I wrestled Hulk in a battle royale. I have never wrestled... Um... Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, I man. have never wrestled The Rock, and I never wrestled Brock Lesnar. Everyone else is pretty much you have wrestled, pretty much. Pretty much, and the guy who who used to get me, who I always wanted to wrestle one on one, and this is not I'm not talking um, show wise. I'm talking um, amateur wise, in ring, workout wise. Gentleman who I always wanted to wrestle was my go-to thing was Kurt Angle. I was a big, I love Kurt Angle because he was an Olympic gold medalist. Okay. He's the best of the best. And I always said that I was a great mat wrestler. A lot of people don't know, but I was a basketball player and I learned everything in pro wrestling. I learned how to wrestle through pro wrestling. So I asked, I was asking Kurt about training tips. I said, what'd you train when you trained in for the Olympics? What was your time running? He says, I used to get, um, 
uh, three miles in 18 minutes, six minute miles. He says, Vito, if you could do three miles in 23 minutes, he says, you're on a good pace. I used to do that on a regular basis. Get off, do 250 squats, go do my workout, right? And I would run in the mornings. I, would run, I was constantly running. So I used to go to Kurt. I said, hey, Kurt, you want to work out today? No. Kurt, come on, you want to work out today? No. I said, well, Kurt, how come you never want to wrestle me? He goes, Vito, you have that look. I don't wrestle guys with that look. But the thing with me, <laughs> the thing with me is, right, I was a hard wrestler. I used to train before the matches. I used to So I was into it. If I would have got beat by an Olympic gold medalist, there's no shame, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But if I hang with an Olympic gold medalist and I get the best of him a couple times, it kind of puts me up on, on the food chain as far as, you know, oh, wow. You know what I mean? But for my own agenda, I always wanted to know how good I really am. That was my goal. I wanted respect from the boys. I wanted to be the best technical wrestler I could be. And when it came to wrestling, I knew my stuff. Did you ever wrestle, Kurt, besides the Blood Baker Battle Royal? Because I don't know if you ever wrestled one-on-one -on -one or not. Nope, never did. Oh, man. Not even backstage, uh, a little uh, amateur wrestling, nothing? Not even begging and, ask and giving him a protein shake. Nope. Now, he said you had that look. He means that he, he was maybe a little nervous. He didn't want to test you. When people say you have that look, you know, like that look of determination, like, you know, like when you're a fighter and you have that look, you say, all right, this guy might give me a problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I might have been able to give him a problem. I'm not saying I, I, and I'm saying this out there today. I'm not saying I would beat Kurt Angle. I'm not saying I was better wrestling than Kurt Angle. But all I'm saying is that I would have enjoyed the competition of wrestling him to see how good Vito LaGrasso really was. As far as guys you did wrestle, do you have some favorite matches or maybe some favorite opponents that you've had throughout the years? Because you've wrestled so many guys. Um, I guess wrestling Kevin Nash on Nitro in the main event. You know, how many guys get to suplex seven-foot Kevin Nash on, on Nitro? Right. Not no, many. Nobody, right? So you talk about, you know, wrestling the best in WCW. Um. You know, Scott Steiner, right before his match with Booker, he gave me everything in the house. And then I made a comeback with everything I had in the house. People were going crazy. Um, good match. You know what I mean? I wrestled Jeff Jarrett in WCW. I wrestled Buff Bagwell. I wrestled pretty much all the big names there. Um, I guess one of the things that really made me was when I lost the title to Lance Storm. The next night, we went and did uh, TVs for, um, I think it was uh, Saturday, 6.05, TVS. And I'm wrestling the artist. I come walking out. The fans are on their feet chanting my name. And it was ridiculous. And I'm taking off my stuff, and I'm going, I'm thanking them. The crowd got louder and louder and louder. And it was appreciation for me being hardcore champion. And when I look at that, I said, you know, that's what a superstar looks like. And, you know, those people, they love my work. They love being behind me. It didn't matter if I didn't have the title, but they appreciated and loved me. Even the announcers, when I got to the back, 
all the guys, all the guys, every one of them. They said, Peter, what the hell was that? I said, I don't know. I says, I said, it was pretty awesome because how many people today get that, you know, veto chant or get their name chanted in the marinas? It doesn't happen today. You don't see it at all. And I'm not talking because there's no crowds, but even before that, you just didn't see it. You don't see it. Different kind of crowds nowadays. That's uh, that's for sure. No doubt about it. Not as uh, respectful and um, you know loving as, as they used to be, for sure. I don't know if they're as passionate, maybe. Yeah, you know what? You talk about that. ECW, I was SVK. Mm -hmm. You know, WCW, I was Vito, right? Mm -hmm. In the WWE, when I was in when I was in uh, Italy and in certain arenas, they chanted Vito. I mean. You talk about a whole history of me being on TV and being in great places. And then when I went to the NWE, every arena I worked on, they did the same thing. Nobody could understand it. Nobody could fathom it. Nobody was like, what is it with you that you got these people? And I just, I knew how to work the crowd. I knew they just, they appreciated hard work. Definitely. As far as regrets, any regrets in the wrestling business? Um, regrets in the wrestling business. I'm sure I do have some regrets, but, you know, I always try to keep on a positive note. And I would say that um, I guess I don't have any regrets to, like, to dwell on to say, you know, that hold me down. On a positive note, I'm happy for where I am in my life today and for the life I'm living because not a lot of guys in wrestling, you know, some guys have passed away. Some guys maybe didn't make it. Some guys today are struggling. Some guys are in terrible health and terrible homes and didn't take care of themselves. But looking at me and what I'm doing and how my life is doing, I don't have any regrets. I'm good. I'm good. As far as you and your career, we mentioned huge victory over Masawa, huge victory over Terry Funk. What's kind of the lasting legacy or the stamp that Big Vito left on the wrestling business? My stamp of, of on my wrestling career, my legacy. Um, I guess if I guess it, I mean it really doesn't. It, I guess it it does matter and it doesn't matter. It wouldn't kill me if it didn't happen, but I guess. You know, just the acknowledgement of the wrestling community for everything I've done in wrestling. And that's that, That's not just wrestling. That's standing up for your rights and standing up for who you are, believing in yourself, never being a kiss-ass, being a man's man, not, you know, bowing down to peer pressure and just doing something because... You had to do it to hang with the guys. I think I've gained more respect for being myself and being a man in the wrestling business than just being, you know, somebody who's following. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, a lot, I see a lot of guys advocate for themselves being in the Hall of Fame. Makes me sick. You know, I should be in the Hall of Fame. I should be in the Hall of Fame. I did this in the Hall of Fame. I, and, I, and I look at that and I say, you're a grown man. You're over 50, and you're begging for recognition. How about letting them recognize you and telling you and calling you, say, hey, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame. Makes more sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And when you do that on Facebook and you do that out there, 
I should have this award. They should do this with me. And they, you know what? How about, you know, respect? I think the word respect doesn't get enough press. And uh, when people don't respect you as a man, or they don't respect your career, that says a lot. When you have to go out there and beg, I don't know if you remember, but you remember when they used to have the dirt sheets and the magazines and mm -hmm. the, biggest, the biggest thing in your career was to get in that magazine because that was recognition. Mm -hmm. When the top 500 came out, it was a different top 500 because you had to earn your keep. You didn't buy your way. You didn't send somebody money. You didn't send, mail it in. And back then, you had to earn it. And I think when you look at it, I have a bag in my garage full of magazines. I'm in every one of them. And I kept them throughout all these years. And you, I don't ever look at them. But everyone I'm in, and I say, wow, that was some press because I earned it. And I have magazines where um, The Rock is on one page and Big Vito Lagrasso is on the other page. I have another one where Eddie Guerrero is here, Skullbone Crush is here. I have ones with Austin's here and I'm over here. And you're talking about matching up against the Monday night, the Monday night, uh, Monday night wars. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about earning your keep as a wrestler. That's the kind of stuff you like. That's the kind of recognition you want. You know, I mean, if the WWE called me today and said, hey, listen, uh, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame and, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Huh? It's a nice honor. Thank you very much. But does it signify who I am as a wrestler and a person and as a man? No. You know, if WCW had a Hall of Fame, if there was a, a thing for the top 10 uh, greatest hardcore wrestlers, they're going to have a hardcore Hall of Fame. That's pretty neat. You know what I mean? It's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Um, but as far as any awards or anything, I just want to be known as somebody who stood up for himself, um, somebody who was, an, who was a great wrestler and respected by his peers. I guess that would be the nutshell. As far as some plugs, I know you mentioned the Big Vito brand, but please give us all the plugs, what you got going on, the return of Skullbun Crush, everything you got going on in your world. All right, let's start off with Skullbun Crush. You can find him on Twitter, okay, at Skullbun Crush. Guys, if you want to tune into us, go to twitch.tv slash the Big Vito brand. We have audio podcasts everywhere heard under the Big Vito brand. All our social media is on the Big Vito brand. You know, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You know, I'm even on LinkedIn. So, I mean, guys, you know, hit us up. Check out the two-man power trip, you know, and uh, quality wrestling show. Great questions, a great interviewer. I want to thank you for having me today on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, coming on. I know it was a long time coming for sure. And good luck on the book. Looking forward to that whenever that comes out too. I'm telling you people will read that book. Uh, they better get some popcorn. It'd be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Big Vito. Thank you so much uh, for all the time today. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. You have a great day and have a good evening. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.